0: Um, here we go. I think I was talking to Bo this morning and he was asking me if I knew what I was talking about yet. And it is um, threatening enough to get up here knowing what you want to say, let alone not knowing what you want to say. I can't even imagine doing that. But sometimes I probably talk as if I've never um, thought of what I'm saying before. So thank you for for being um, gracious with me. If you saw in your worship folder and if you've been here the last several weeks, Randy has been alluding to Acts 29. Now, if you are an astute Bible scholar or if you've just opened up your pages of your Bible, you will see that there's not actually an Acts 29 in here. Um, I am not going to make up a book of the Bible today, which is good because um, that would be terrible. But what we're going to do is look at sort of what happens next in the book of Acts, Okay, from the book of Acts. Acts is the acts of the apostles, is the acts of Jesus Christ, and how His Spirit moves and works throughout the church. And, and specifically, uh, the latter half of the book is about the acts of the apostle Paul, and what he does, and where he goes, and where God sends him. And, and, and we wind up at the very end of uh, Acts twenty-eight, verses thirty and thirty-one. Um, he's waiting on, on trial. Uh, he's waiting for a trial in Rome. Um, And it says, he lived there for two years at his own expense, welcoming all who came, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, period, the end. And so we're kind of left with this cliffhanger of, well, what happens to Paul? And what happens to the church, and uh, Randy, I think, is going to start next week with the book of Jude, which he alluded to last week, is more of the Acts of the Apostate. Okay, so the acts of churches that completely get it wrong and what happens after this. Um, But what we're going to do this morning is do like a brief history of all of Christianity from Paul till today. Okay, so only like 1,900 some years. Um, Real quick, okay, and I've only got like two pages of notes on that part, um, and then we're going to look at sort of what God, what is God doing today? It's, it's leading us somewhere. Where is the Spirit been going, and where is God going, and what is he doing? Okay, um, what is he doing? If you would open up your Bible to Acts chapter 1, okay, go all the way back to the beginning, Acts 1, we're in verses 7 through 11 this morning. All of Acts, really all of the Christian life is based off of these few verses at the beginning of Acts chapter 1. Jesus had been crucified, he was raised from the dead, and now he is um, speaking to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, Um, and these are his words, and before I read them, let's pray. Uh, Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all that you're doing, Lord, for the way that you've worked throughout history. Father, open our eyes to your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 11. He said to them, Jesus said, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood before them in white robes and said men of Galilee why do you stand looking into heaven this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come into the same come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So his command to the disciples is to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends And to the end of the earth. That's what Jesus' command is. And we see what happens as a result of that. We've seen that Paul is doing these missionary journeys and he goes out. And the disciples start to spread out. Again, this is the history of Christianity in very brief and very um, incomplete fashion. So this happens in AD 33, we have the Great Commission. In 35, we have Paul's conversion. In 42, Mark goes to Egypt. In 52, Thomas goes to India where he is martyred. In 62 AD, Paul is released from prison, which he was here in Acts for two years. In 64 AD, the Emperor Nero begins persecuting Christians. He blames them for this great fire in Rome. In 66 AD, Thaddeus establishes a church in Armenia. In 66 AD, Peter and Paul are executed in Rome under Nero. Matthew goes to Persia and Ethiopia. Philip goes to Carthage in North Africa. Bartholomew goes kind of everywhere. He goes to India with Thomas, Armenia, Ethiopia, Southern Arabia. James is martyred in Syria. These are the disciples. In 80 AD, the first Christians are reported in Tunisia and France. In 100 AD, John dies in Ephesus. In 140 AD, Hermas reports, the Son of God has been preached to the ends of the earth. In 150 AD, the gospel is now in Portugal and Morocco. In 155, Polycarp is martyred in Smyrna. In 174, the first Christians are reported in Austria. In 197, Tertullian writes, Christianity has penetrated all ranks of society and North Africa. In 200 AD, the first Christians are found in Switzerland and Belgium. In 280, we see the first rural churches emerge in Italy, which is a big deal because now Christianity is no longer in the cities. In 312, the emperor Constantine is converted. In 379, Jerome writes, From India to Britain, all nations resound with the death and resurrection of Christ. 379. In 392, Theodius bans pagan worship throughout Rome. All of Rome is now essentially Christianized. In 4:32, St. Patrick takes the gospel to Ireland, where he had been held as a slave, and which we now celebrate every St. Patrick's Day by getting smashed. <laughs> In 596, Augustine goes to reintroduce the gospel, to reintroduce the gospel to England. In 718, Boniface takes the gospel to the Germans. In 7:40, Irish monks reach Iceland. In eight sixty we have missionaries to the Slavs. In nine hundred it's to Norway. In nine eighty eight, Christianity arrives in Russia. In twelve hundred, the Bible is now in twenty two different languages. In thirteen eighty two, John Wycliffe translates the Bible into English. In fourteen fifteen, John Huss is burned at the stake. In fourteen ninety four, missionaries arrive in the Dominican Republic. 1494. In 1517, Luther's 95 theses call everyone to repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ alone. In 1549, Francis Xavier sends a, goes on a mission to Japan. In 1555, Calvin sends the Huguenots to Brazil. In 1600, the French send missionaries to Michigan. In 1644, John Eliot begins ministry to Algonquin Indians in North America. In 1706, the first presbytery meeting is held in the United States. In Philadelphia. In the 1730s, we see the Great Awakening started by Jonathan Edwards, which revitalizes the American church. In 1789, the first General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church meets in Philadelphia. In 1793, William Carey sails for India. In 1800, the second Great Awakening reaches the unchurched people in America. And of course, what it does is causes great division among Presbyterians. In the in in 1810s, early 1810s, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church splits off from the other Presbyterian Church because they they like the Second Great Awakening and they like seeing unchurched people come to Christ. So in 1810, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church organized in Alabama as a result of the Great Revival. In 1812, Elder Alexander Wilson represents Huntsville at a Cumberland Presbyterian meeting in Tennessee. In 1840, American Presbyterians enter Thailand and labor for 18 years before seeing their first Thai convert. In 1845, Huntsville's Presbyterian congregation established a church at the corner of Lincoln and Randolph. At 1899, Central's current sanctuary, where you are sitting, is built. In 1906, Cumberland Presbyterian Church becomes a united Presbyterian Church, In 1957, the Central Presbyterian Church Education Wing is constructed. In 1958, the UPC becomes the UPC USA. In 1983, that just becomes the PC USA. In 1996, the Hawthorne Conservatory begins as an outreach of Central to people who cannot afford music lessons and takes the gospel to them. In 2007, Central joins the EPC, which is a denomination focused on the advancement of the gospel. In 2011, the Cooper House renovations are completed, and Central is ready for new ministry work. So now it's over, right? Let's clap. And now we look to the sky, and we wait for Jesus to come back, right? It's finished. You know, it's like the great, um, what was it, after like the first day of the war in Iraq, we said mission accomplished. You know, that's it, it's over, and of course... um, We're still here, and we're still there. We go, okay, what does God have for us to do? It seems as if the gospel is everywhere. We have reports of Christians in every nation in the world. What else could be left to do? If you turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Actually, we're going to start in verse 11, or uh, chapter 11. 11. In verse thirty-two, chapter twelve, uh, verses one through uh, three was what Sarah Beth read for us earlier. Hebrews eleven thirty-two. And this is um, the the author of Hebrews is talking about great men and women of faith who have come up through the Old Testament, and they, we've seen God do some amazing things in their lives. So, verse thirty-two: What more shall I say? From time, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This sounds awesome. This does not sound as awesome. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. We see these people doing these amazing acts of faith, and they're doing all these awesome things. And sometimes we can look at where the church is now and where, what, was, what God was doing then, and we go, these two things don't even line up. My life doesn't even seem to fit in with this category of people who were suffering and were sawn in two and were doing these amazing things, and God was working in a powerful way. And you know, what, what this is saying here is that they didn't get what had been promised, they didn't receive that. So, what is promised? Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so easily, closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What the author writes is that these people were all of these great Old Testament heroes of faith, but they didn't receive what they'd been waiting for, and what they were waiting for was something better. Okay, something better than miracles, and something better than victory, and something better than God's power, and obviously something better than persecution. But they were waiting for the promised Messiah, which was Jesus. He says, and now we have that. Okay, and now, Christian, sitting in this room, standing at this pulpit. Again, what are we supposed to do? Here's a great great quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I might as well just say this and walk off because this is um, pretty good. He says, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. A missionary or an imposter. Isn't that kind of convicting? Okay, Okay, well... If I'm a missionary, what am I supposed to do? The first thing is that all true missions are the result of intimacy with Christ. Okay, all true missions are the result of intimacy with Christ. And true intimacy with Jesus is something that can't be faked. The first year we were down in the Dominican Republic, and um, some of you know because you were there, especially Donald, um, it was the anniversary week of the church. And with the anniversary week of the church, they have a service every night of the week. They bring in some guest pastors. They'll speak. There's some drama. There's some interpretive dancing. I mean, the whole deal. They go for a few hours every night, right? And we had been down there. None of us spoke any Spanish at all. And we're going, and uh, Pastor Pedro is telling us, okay, there's a service tonight, and we would go, and we would sit there, and we would sing along, and we would just be there with them. Well, at the end of the week, Pastor Pedro comes up to me, and he says, You know, you Christians in Alabama, you guys are really, really religious. I said, what do you mean? He said, we've had church every night. You have been there every night. Usually the mission teams only come one day. Usually they only come once, and yet you're there every night. And I was kind of going, oh, we didn't have to be there? (laughs) You know, and we were all kind of thinking the same thing, like, wow, okay. You know, and, it, and he said, yeah, the, the women, the people in the church were really impressed that you guys were at church every night. I said, you know, intimacy with Jesus, we can't, we can fool some people sometimes, right? We could, we could fool them by being here. But, but we can't fake it with God. Being at that Dominican service didn't do much for me spiritually, aside from seeing other people worship God, which was a really great thing. By the end of the week, I was going, okay, when is this over? Because I didn't understand. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. You know what, some people come to congregations, and they sit in services every Sunday, and they're the exact same way, except they understand English, but they don't know what's happening. Okay, they sit here with a smile on their face, and they nod, and they say, that's great, just like I did. But they really don't get what's going on. Because they don't have that real intimacy. You know, I can fool other people, but I can't fool myself. And intimacy begins with repentance. It tells us in Hebrews. It says, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely. We start being intimate with God when we repent. The book of Isaiah, we're not going to turn there, but Isaiah is called, he has a vision of God. God. And he comes before the great throne of God and he sees the perfection of God and he's surrounded by these angels and his first response is, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. His first response to the holiness of God, being close to God, is repenting of his sin. And an angel comes and takes a coal from this fire that's burning and he touches his lips. He says, your sins have been taken away from you. Okay, true intimacy, true intimacy with God starts with repentance. And sometimes the things that we need to, be, to repent of are like good things. Like I need to repent often of my service to God because I try to do my service to God without God. Or I need to repent of my religious um, performance because I'm doing it to please others and not to worship God, not as a result of that intimacy with God. I'd heard of a, a visiting um, a, a missionary that had come to the United States from uh, the Eastern Church where they lived uh, in the midst of much persecution. They came around and they toured a lot of places. And someone asked them as they were getting ready to go back home, they said, what have you learned from the American church? I said, I've learned you can do a lot of things without God. I go, Okay. And so often, because we have everything that we need, because God has been so gracious to us, we mistake the gifts for the giver. We worship the things that he's given us instead of worshiping him. We get caught up in our own lives, and that's not where God wants us to be. C.S. Lewis says, talking about intimacy, he says, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, peace, power, eternal life, You must get close to or even into the thing that has them. If we want the things of God, we need to be with God. We need to jump in and dive in and spend time with God. And at the beginning of that, we repent of all the things that we try to do without him. It's it's so convicting to prepare this and go, okay, I'm leaving tomorrow on this trip. And to get so caught up in my own self and go, stop it. Sometimes God just wants us to stop it and spend time with him. Okay. So our missions flow from intimacy which begins with repentance. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Um, if you turn to Second Corinthians five twenty. What else do missionaries do? What's their, what's their job? What is the job of a Christian? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Missionaries are ambassadors, and the job of an ambassador is to represent the king. Our king is Jesus. An ambassador's job is to send the message that has been given to them. An ambassador speaks for someone else. They do not speak for themselves. They, have, they are the voice of authority among a people that is uh, foreign or strangers. What's the message? What's the voice? The message is reconciliation. God making his appeal through us as God has called us to repentance. Our rule as ambassadors is to call others to repentance to allow them to know the great love that God has for them to allow them to know that Jesus Christ has died for their sins and he has made a way for them to get to God and this is for every Christian every Christian is called to live their life as a missionary to live missionally you know missional is living every day here and now for God it's being the the, it's being God's ambassador everywhere we go it's being God's ambassador at work and at school and in your neighborhood and at home. You know, you're a missionary here and now. So Jesus said to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So mission starts here. To Blossomwood, to Huntsville, to Madison County, to Alabama, to the United States, to the world. That's, that's our role as missionaries. And it starts home, but it does not stay there. Okay, according to the JoshuaProject.net, and uh, that link is wrong in the. The so it's net, which keeps track of the global spread of Christianity. Out of 16,650 people groups in the world, 7,183 are unreached for the gospel. 43.1% of people groups in the world are unreached. 2.9 billion people, over 40% of the world's population, live in these people groups. They define unreached as less than 5% are Christian and less than 2%. evangelical. Here's another stat that might kind of shock us. In the United States, which is a Christian nation, there are 30 million people who live in 188 people groups without established churches, just here. So the, the, the role of a missionary starts here as an ambassador for God. The work of taking the gospel to the nations has been started, and it's been started well, but obviously it is not finished. So we need to run the race with endurance that has been set before us. You know, what do you do if you're getting ready to run a race? You train, you, 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 you uh, get into shape, hopefully, you rest, uh, you carbo load. Um, if I had to run a marathon tomorrow, I would die. Okay, I couldn't do it. I mean, well, I wouldn't finish it. How about that? I would probably get to six miles, maybe. Okay, um, some of you guys would, could do it probably all the way and it might take you a long time but you could probably do it physically it would be physically impossible for me because I'm not prepared you know I'm not I'm not gonna run you know I did that before I've I've run a couple times and it's terrible um I don't know why people keep doing it um especially without someone chasing them um so if I'm going to run a race, I'm not going to be able to do it. If I wanted to and I had you know, six months in front of me, I could probably get myself prepared to do something. Maybe like a 5K, I bet. Um, I, could, I could run. I could train. I could get ready. If I had that goal in sight, I could do it. So what did Hebrews say? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. As I become closer to God, and as I repent of my sin, and as I enjoy true intimacy with Christ, my focus becomes Jesus. If I'm focused on myself, I'm not going to really do anything. If I'm focused on improving my own life, nothing's really going to happen. It's like if you're worried about being uncool, you will never be cool, right? It's not going to happen. I can't sit there worrying about myself and my own spiritual life. That's not what happens. But the closer and closer I get to Christ, the more myself disappears, the more my focus and my goal is Jesus. And as I run with endurance, my eyes are fixed on Him. So I start with spending time with God. I repent my sin. I throw off everything that gets in the way of wholehearted devotion with Christ. I place myself at the mercy of the cross. And we can't be ambassadors for a king that we don't know. know. Our message must come from him. Our love must come from him. Our mission must come from him. And without him, everything is worthless. Without him, I'm nothing. But with him, I am everything. Here's your final point. We'll know the mission is finished when we see Jesus. We'll know the mission is finished when we see Jesus. Till he returns or calls me home, however it happens, my mission is over when I see Jesus face to face. We, we live in a world that's here and now, and, and it's at times all about ourselves, but the gospel calls us to die to ourselves, to, live, to give up our lives in the service of our king. All Christians are called to be missionaries. They're called to enjoy true intimacy with Jesus. They're called to repent their sin and and to endure and to focus on Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you with, um, God, with repentance. God repenting of all the things that I can do without you Lord repenting of all the ways that I can provide for myself and take care of myself and yet Lord I am nothing without you Father fix us on you Lord fix our eyes on you that we could see who you are and see who we are in light of you Lord that we would attempt nothing without you Lord that, that every single waking thought and moment would be spent on you Lord, we, want to, we know if we want to be godly, we have to be with God. Lord, we know if we want true intimacy that it sp- starts with spending time with the God of the universe who so, so welcomingly invites us to do so. Lord, you desire our hearts and you welcome us to you. We pray that we would be responsive to your call. Lord, forgive us our sins and, and allow us to, um, to repent. God, humble us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Our hymn is 497, Like a River Glorious. Let's stand as we sing 497.
0: Father God, you, we ask that you would convict us of our sin and our pride. Lord, I pray for those here who do not enjoy intimacy with you, that they can get right with you this morning. Lord, that they would turn to you with all that they are and all that they try to do. Lord, repent of their sin and believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, who for the joy before him endured the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.